How you feeling? You ready? I'm ready. Let's Good do this shit. Good I got my brand. I've always got my brand. I got my bup, 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 bup. Welcome to the Bottle of Brown podcast. I'm your host, Danny Paul. Across from me in the Bob Measy Studios is the guys, the vice host himself, Leon Coventry, ladies and gentlemen. Leon Coventry. Hey! Danny, how the hell are you this week? Happy pre-Halloween, sir. What a fun holiday. It and is a fun I holiday, love it. isn't it? It is. I feel like a kid again because the neighborhood I moved into goes off. Like I've never seen anybody go off any neighborhood ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, neighbors across the street or, or they got cables with flying spooks going back and forth. Wow. Um, that's involved. Uh, lots. Uh, I think there's multiple how, um, haunted houses on here too. So we'll see Ooh, how far uh, the little one wants to go, <laughs> but she's into it. So I'm excited. How about you? We had uh, we had the same thing going this year that we had last year. Is everybody's going to drag a table out to their driveway, and people are just going to kind of wander around and and trick or treat at tables, so we don't have to go up to the doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's mostly still because it's a new neighborhood. So we actually still have, believe it or not, people that didn't live in our neighborhood last Halloween. They just finished their houses, so the entire neighborhood is complete. I think everybody has landscaping by now, but it is in essence a brand new neighborhood. So this will be the first Halloween where every single house is finished. And uh, I oh. think we had some people wandering in from other neighborhoods last year. So we, we had a good crowd. We expect it to be fun, but that's, that's the plan. I don't remember any haunted houses, although um, with these detached garages, like the one I have, it'd be mm-hmm. perfect for a haunted house. I think it's better. I think your neighborhood is fantastic for this. It's one of the major advantages to moving into a brand new neighborhood because it seems to be typically young families. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure I'm sure it's going to be very exciting. And a lot of people, I would assume, in your neighborhood, this might be their first home. So they're going to be very excited. Yeah. It's definitely possible. So I, we like to bring out uh, uh, bring out candy and snacks. And mm-hmm. my wife likes to do a kind of a dual option. Do you want the naughty option or do you want the healthy option? And you'll be surprised that veggie sticks is the black tar heroin of our neighborhood. Get out of here. Swear to God. Huh? So we put the veggie sticks out and those things got swamped up. Just, you know, don't touch the nerds. Don't touch the sour patch kids. It's boom. Veggie sticks and popcorn pirate booty. I was considering making some uh, adult beverage out there as well for the walking parents. Oh, I'm absolutely going to do that. Yeah. But uh, we'll pull the Sonos out. We uh, we get some Halloween music going and we we kick it at our table. And when it's our turn, we take the kids out until they get bored and we kick them inside. And I think my folks are going to come over again this year and they, they like to help out. They'll man the table while we wander. Cool. And so it's a, it's a nice event. Anyway, what, yeah, I need, uh, I need that. what is your brand for tonight, sir? 
tonight's brown. Very excited. Got it this week. I think it was one of those unicorn finds. I have not seen it yet, but we just stumbled into this uh, liquor store and there it was old forester mm-hmm. single barrel barrel strength and it's 127 proof so it'll light you up wow it it is delicious though it's a delicious 127 old forester is a uh, a favorite for the brown bracket is that correct it is. Yeah. It's a, it's a, they have a great suite of bourbons and we had not seen, we've heard of the single barrel, uh, but we just never seen it until this last time. And it was very reasonable. It's just hmm. rare. So that's, that's mine tonight. And it, it's very possible that I will be slurring my words by the end of the podcast tonight. So oh, I excellent. apologize in advance. Outstanding. Uh, my Brown tonight is the last stop on the Around the Brown World Tour. I ran out of countries that make whiskey. Uh, not necessarily that there aren't any other countries that make whiskey. I just don't have access to them where I am. So we'll be ending mm-hmm. our tour of world whiskey in Israel. This is mm. Milk and Honey Classic Single Malt. And I got to say, the Israelis do it right. Do they? Apparently, I would have never add thought that. whiskey to Krav Maga and general badassery. Uh, this is the type of shit that Wonder Woman would drink. This is this is really good stuff. Yeah, you're gonna have to keep some of that aside for me for mm-hmm. the next visit. Mm-hmm. Looking at uh, 46% alcohol by volume. It is a single malt. It is a Scotch, right out of Tel Aviv, and I like it. I like it a lot. Is it so peaty? Will, is it got a peaty um, flavor to it? Or, it's yeah, got a little like bit of peat to it. Yeah. No, it's got a little bit of peat to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, they say ex bourbon casks, special red wine, STR casks, mm. giving it a so light and sweet character matured under the Tel Aviv sun. Cradle of Western civilization. Israel. <laughs> Good times. And uh, now that we've shared what our brown is, Let's keep talking about Brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where they hiding the scotch? What about, um, brown? That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Could I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Today's booze banter, or talking about brown, comes from Ars Technica. This one comes from the 2021, September 9th. 9,000 years ago, funerals in China involved a lot of beer. Good times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The article begins, the world's oldest painted pottery may have been for drinking beer at a funeral. Now, I'm immediately taken to Snatch, and the Irish lock a drink at a wake. <laughs> but apparently the Irish are not the only ones that have uh, cornered the market on getting lit at the death of a loved one. At a 9,000-year-old burial site in China called Chaotou, archaeologists recently unearthed a number of ceramic vessels. Some of the vessels were shaped like the long-necked, round-bellied bronze pots that people used for alcoholic drinks millennia later. And that made Dartmouth College anthropologist Jiajing Wang and his colleagues wonder whether these early clay versions might have once held beer. Bits of the residue left inside eight of the 13 pots turned out to contain 
phytoliths, fossilized plant remains from rice tubers and a plant called Job's Tears. Starch molecules in the residue showed signs of being heated and fermented. Wang and his colleagues also found yeast and mold, key ingredients in fermentation. Booyah! Well, first, as you're reading that, there's a lot of CYA language subtly Mm -hmm. hit in there, like may have and could have. And I'm like, in accordance with prophecy. (laughs) Uh, I have no doubt, though, that that's an amazing find because I do think that they were doing uh, alcohol. I just didn't realize, I don't realize how far back alcoholic beverages go and you know you're talking about nine thousand years ago you know the event fine but uh we could talk about that in a second i just find it amazing that alcohol has been around that long but well well beyond the jewish calendar right well beyond the christian calendar so you're going back to civilizations that have been plotting their history for a long long time on this planet The Mm -hmm. article goes on this cloudy sweet rice beer would have been the product of a considerable amount of work Around 9,000 years ago, people in southern China were just starting to farm rice. The Shangshan culture had seen its people settling in villages, but most of them still relied on hunting and foraging for much of their food. Evidence Mm. from other archaeological sites tells us that tubers and acorns were the staples of most people's diets. Rice appears to have been a luxury crop at the time, and rice beer, considering the extra effort and time required to make it, would have been reserved for very special occasions. What do you think about that? Rich people drinking? Yeah, but maybe they share it, right? Because it's a funeral and that's a special occasion. That every What a great way to to celebrate uh, someone's life. You know, Everyone one, one of together. these Yeah, one of these days, I think yeah, when I get really angry about something, I'm going to be talking about funerals in general because it's supposed to be a celebration of life. Right. You know, I think uh, Van Wilder's quote is one of the best. Uh, if you don't take life too seriously, you're never going to get out alive. Mm-hmm. It's 100%. We're all going to die. I don't care who you're talking to or who you know. I promise you they're going to die. They're all going to die. So let's celebrate it. Uh, you know, we can miss them and we can mourn them. That's fine. But let's make it a celebration. And what better way to celebrate than with acorn rice wine? or beer and, you know, with friends and pour a little liquor out for your fallen homie. Perhaps we shouldn't be so morose and depressing. I agree with you. Uh, So they go on to describe some, some particular details about how alcohol is made, but the basic essence of alcohol is somebody left something out and uh, they didn't pour it out. So they came back later, probably by accident and they drank and they went, wow, I feel different. What happened here? (laughs) And I bet you that was the discovery of wine or mead or aquavit or, you know, call it what you want is whatever ferments. So it's a rice, it's a rice beer, which means it's probably something similar to rice wine. That's called sake in Japan. So it's, yeah, whatever it is, it's, you left it fermenting and now you really enjoy it. So ding, 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 brown, 9,000 brown. Well, you know, it's also, we talked about it on past shows the where alcohol is incorporated into the Asian cultures in general mm-hmm. is very, it, it's, it's always a, a celebration of life. Yeah. It's a part of life. It's, you know, you've talked about 
the Japanese culture. Is it the Japanese culture? Is it the Korean culture where it's like, Hey, we're going to, I'm going to take you out. Now's a good time for you to yell at me uh, as your boss and let me have it as we get drunk. Yep. And then, you know, then we, what we're going to do is we're going to squash that shit. We're going to go back and be professionals tomorrow at work. And I think that's just brilliant. So this there is, are elements of both cultures actually, because it was certainly in Japan that I first recognized that. But when I talked to our mutual friend, Troy, who's no longer with us, he echoed that in Korean society as well. They call mm-hmm. it uh, nomikai, which is effectively Japanese for drinking party. Apparently they have these in Korea as well. It's an East Asian thing. So well, the article goes on, brewing with mold, the dried residue of ancient beer was still stuck to the insides of some of these vessels 9,000 years later, offering a friendly reminder that if you don't wash your dishes, future archaeologists will probably know. That's especially true if you're drinking something like early beer. Prehistoric brews are likely akin to a porridge that contains insoluble materials, including starches and other plant additives not fully digested during the brewing process. These residue materials are used for identifying alcohol-related artifacts. Wang and his colleagues compared the starch molecules, phytoliths, and bits of fungi to a database of Asian plants and other database of microbes and starches produced by the researchers' own experiments with ancient brewing techniques. So they didn't use filtration. They just drank it straight. Boss. That's so boss. It is boss, isn't it? <laughs> the mold in particular offered an important clue about how these Shangshan people made their beer. Traces of mold found in the drinking vessels from Chaotou matched two species that helped kickstart the brewing process in modern sake. There we go, sake. Boom. There you go. At another Shangshan site called Jahu, archaeologists previously found traces of a different beer recipe, which included rice, honey, and fruits. Honey, mead. Mm-hmm. Wang and his colleagues say that more chemical analysis of the beer residues of the Chowto vessels may reveal whether the beer in Chowto also included honey or fruit. If you got it and you're thirsty, you're going to drink it. We're the ones that decided to modernize it in the last couple hundred years. If, if any of the magic 25 out there, anthropologists or archaeologists, uh, I'd love to hear you chime in. Is this, is this the Super Bowl find you're looking for when you go to school? Are you hoping that I've been to school for eight to 10 years? I am living on food stamps and dirt. I dug this up. I found this old pot. And wouldn't you know, I found out that 9,000 years ago, people were drinking too. It's, it's that actually the question. Any of the Bobs out there studying archaeology or have kids that study archaeology? Is this the, is this the brass ring? I found 9,000 year old beer. Is this the show? I, think it should I be. would think so. I yeah. think it should be. <laughs> Here is the 9,000 year old alcohol, sir. Oh, man. Cheers. And that's all about Brown. That's a good one. That's fun. I, you know, I feel smarter after every show and I appreciate that. That's what we like to do. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into business news. Get down, let's get down to business. 
and I got news for you. Leon, I got a special one today. This one's from Heartland Forward, dated October 26th, 2021. This one's fresh. We mm-hmm. are recording this on the 28th of October, so this report is only two days old. As part of Heartland Forward's report, America's entrepreneurial states supporting entrepreneurs to help drive the economy, we have released a first-of-its-kind interactive tool which allows users to see how their state compares to other states in the Entrepreneurial Capacity Index and how improving in certain areas would be expected to improve or worsen with their state's ranking. I have all 50 states. Uh, Spoiler alert, West Virginia is the last. Mm. Perhaps you Mm. should or should not be surprised by that. Um, (laughs) So let's get into the criteria first before I give you the actual top 10. I appreciate Uh, that. We're not going to get in all 50. So measure percent of households with a computer in the home. Okay. Very important. Mm -hmm. Percentage of the adult population with a bachelor's degree or higher. Okay. Higher education. Yeah. You can say West Virginia got cut out of that one. Although they do have some good schools in West Virginia, to be fair. Um, Young firms deal with young firm deals per million people. That's interesting. So repeat that again. Okay. Young firm deals per million people. So tiny companies, companies that are brand new. Okay. Uh, Young firm capital investment per million people. So again, we're talking about startups. Okay. Uh, Business R and D spending per million people. Mm -hmm. So this is important. We're talking about a per capita state. So they're actually breaking down the population and the number of deals per population. And then the last one is government grants to businesses per million people. And what is the time frame we're looking at here? Does that it tell is an you? Excellent question. Uh, is this over the last year? Over the last? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's a year because I don't have any evidence to suggest otherwise. But if they're gonna suggest this is a yearly thing, let's just do the last twelve months. Okay, for giggles and shits. Okay. All right, coming in at number 10, Virginia. Ooh, Virginia with a big Googleatorial race what going do, on. What do you right think now? about that? The top 20% Virginia rolls in. Uh, I think that's expected, honestly. I think everything up in that Northeast corridor, when you start talking about capital investments and computers and educated people, and, you know, they're, it it seems to align uh, with the way you're describing it. I'll give you some big numbers here. 91% of households have a computer in the home mm-hmm. and 4.1 government grants per million people. Mm. Business R and D spending per million people is 672 million. So, uh, Oh, here we go. Percentage of the adult population with a bachelor's degree or higher 40%. Okay. That's actually so, very high. It is yeah. actually pretty high, isn't it? Mm-hmm. All right. Number nine, Washington. Mm. Mm. You wonder if Washington should have been higher. What do you think? I think it would have been lower. And that's Percentage. why I asked the, that's why I asked the time question. Ah, okay. Uh, I think that some of the trends we've been seeing where businesses are exiting some of the very, very blue states that are having punitive laws for starting businesses. Mm-hmm. I was, I would not have expected 
Washington to be on that list. And now the last two you've named off are exactly those types of states that are are doing that. The irony is that Washington and Oregon are, for the most part, a tiny island of blue surrounded by red. You ever Mm -hmm. been to eastern Washington? Oh, yeah. Like Spokane I just was is, there. Spokane. Spokane diehard, right? No, no, not at all. They're so? very blue. No, really? as soon as you cross literally 10 miles east or yeah, east of Spokane, it is the reddest place you'll ever be in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Montana, right? Yeah. Coeur d'Alene is very, very red. Yeah. You go back over the other side, it's very, very, very blue. So the, uh, the same I've heard is true of Oregon. If you go to a certain uh, threshold of Eastern Oregon. Same thing. Cause they were talking about seceding. Yeah, everybody's got a <laughs> secession plan now. So don't be, a, don't be original. Uh, 94% of households have a computer in the house. 36% of adult population is a bachelor's degree. Okay. Number seven, your favorite Florida. I, you know, I knew they'd be in the top 10, you know, I, I'm, I'm, just eight, I'm sorry. Number, number eight is Florida. I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm interested to see where the Texas, Florida, Tennessee falls in this because they are on a big growth trend. And I'm interested to see if that is, that's why the question again, is there money being. Texas is not in the top 10. Okay. I'm fascinating. Okay, so, we'll so get that, that has after, no impact. Let's do the top ten, and then we'll we'll run your. What, where is this state? I'll give you the number. Uh, okay, number seven, Nevada. Really, that's shocking. According to the metric, ninety three point six percent of households have a computer in the home, and one in four adult population have a bachelor's degree or higher. Fascinating. I just figured everybody learned how to shuffle and deal. Number six, Massachusetts, home of MIT. That makes sense. That makes sense. 92.5% of households have a computer in the home and 44.5% of the population has a bachelor's degree or higher. Uh, This is an interesting one here. This number blew everybody else out of the water. Government grants to businesses per million people, 26. Wow. Lots Hmm. of government money being spent in Massey, you choose it. Uh, one of your living areas here, number five, comes in Colorado. Oh, interesting. 94.5% of households have a computer in the home, and 41.7% of adults have a bachelor's degree or higher. Hmm. Did you think that Colorado was that educated? No chance. No chance. I mean, the time I spent there was in the Boulder and Denver area. So that's beautiful. That's universe, University Central. So yep. I'm not surprised there, but you go out. You go out a little bit. I, I've always said that Kansas is a big giant ramp leaning leading up to Denver. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't see any real civilization in the state of Colorado until you you've been in it for a while. So coming number coming four west. is the Garden State, New Jersey. I feel like they paid someone off to get on the list. Percent of households with a computer in the home is ninety three percent. And percentage of adults with a bachelor's degree or higher is 40.8. So we're looking at two and five have a bachelor's degree or higher. Now, remember, New Jersey is also just a spillover from New York and Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that they're taking into account central Jersey because it's usually north or south and it's usually a metropolitan area that 
attaches to it. So people give New Jersey a bad rep, but it's not because it's the state itself. Like New Jersey seems to be, and apologies to any New, Jer- New Jersey natives out there, but New Jersey seems to be a spillover from large cities right on the border of other states. Yeah. And I think that's what the running joke is. You know, like we make fun of uh, Canada all the time when no one really dislikes Canadians that I'm aware of. No one that I know really dislikes anyone from New Jersey, but they just seem to take the punch. <laughs> so it's fun to make fun of my guests. So um, one and two, I don't think will surprise you, Leon, but do you want to take a crack at number three? <sighs> Number three. Well, the fact that you're saying it's going to surprise just, just me. Just go out there. Just left field. Whack it. Okay. Throw it hard. I'm going to say Montana. Good guess. <laughs> that was a good Big guess. swing. Montana's uh, 21. How about Wisconsin? Utah. Oh, Utah. Utah is number three. Percent of households with a computer in the home, 96.3%. Get out of here. Percentage of adult population with a bachelor's or higher, Brigham Young, 34.9. Just Hmm. over one-third of adults in the state of Utah. The Mormons are educated. The Mormons are educated. Rounding at the top two are, of course, New York and number one, your home state of California. I'm disappointed Ohio didn't make the list, but I'm not surprised. Ohio, now that we've achieved the top 10, Ohio comes in at 40. Mm. Down there. Mm. Ohio is pretty popular. Like, like get this, Iowa's 49. So these are voting states. South Dakota's 43. You know, these are these are things that are important in political circles. Texas. Uh, let's see. Texas, you asked about Texas. Texas is in fact 14. Okay. And you also asked about Tennessee. That's 36. And I'm I'd love to, to revisit find... this list in a year. See what happens. I think that'd be fun. Uh, I'm struggling to find New Hampshire on the list. Unless they got Washington, D.C. in here somewhere. I think there's a double up on this list. Uh, anyway, let's go back to the numbers. So New York, 91% of households have a computer. 37% have a bachelor's degree or higher. And the Golden State, 94.4% of households have a computer in the home. Hmm. 34% of adult populations have a bachelor's degree or higher. So it's very important to note that even with the UC system and all of the other famous universities, USC, Stanford, so on and so forth, 34% have a bachelor's degree. I think some of the other places on the list had a much higher educated population. We have a much Big higher debt. population though, too. So well again, it's it's per yeah, you know. Yeah, I get what it. Ifs. Okay, what else you got? Throw some out. Uh I was actually very interested to, to see where some of the outlying states fell. I I didn't hear anything about Illinois, which was shocking. I thought for sure Chicago, yeah. Chicago twenty. And oh, yeah. Connecticut's 17. I thought Connecticut would be up there as well. What was 11? 11 was Alaska. Ooh. Alaska was the bubble state. Yep. Believe it or not. <laughs> My home state of Arizona is 24, so dead in the middle, despite what Governor Ducey would say. I, I remember somebody talking to me back in the day uh, 
before they built that new stadium out, is it Glendale, Arizona, mm-hmm. where they put it? There's a whole big movement because they had to go to the good people in the Phoenix, the greater Phoenix area and ask for money to build the stadium. And there was a big uprising because at the time, Arizona was 49th in education, if I believe. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, how dare you want to spend this billion dollars on a stadium when our kids are the dumbest in the country? And they ended up building the stadium. So <laughs> good for you. They're halfway through. <laughs> uh, 93% of households in Arizona have a computer in the house. And... Just under 30% of the adult population has a bachelor's degree. Okay. Modest numbers for Arizona, but as modest across the board. So that gives them a lower weighting because Arizona is 24th, which is dead middle. Mm-hmm. Anyway, give you an idea of if you are an entrepreneurial state, if you'd like to start your own business, you probably want to skip it to one of the top five. Obviously, California and New York are, I would say California and New York are always going to be one and two just because. I was a little surprised given uh, to your point, Leon, that Texas is 14, at least based Mm -hmm. on this criteria. I mean, Oregon scores higher than Texas and Hawaii scores higher than Oregon. Fascinating. What's going on there? Mm. I feel like this test is places to be uh, entrepreneurial. Rock and roll. That's business news. Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Whatever. This one made the news, Leon. So it's not necessarily crank in terms of where did you find this. This one actually made some major news feeds here, but I thought it was perfect for the crank file. This one comes to us from the MIT Technology Review, dated the 20th of October, 2021. Surgeons have successfully tested a pig's kidney in a human patient. We are now transplanting animal organs to prolong our lives. What's my favorite saying? How have we not think cancer by now? <laughs> I think we're about to cure it. That's it. This is, this is a huge leap forward. Huge mm-hmm. leap forward. Yeah, that's, let's, let's leverage the entire uh, food chain. <laughs> Surgeons have successfully attached a pig's kidney to a human patient and watched it start to work. The Associated Press reported today the pig had been genetically engineered so that its organ was less likely to be rejected. Oh, Uh, genetically engineered. mm. The feat is a potentially huge milestone in the quest to one day use animal organs for human transplants, which would shorten waiting lists, of course. All right, how it worked. The surgical team from NYU Langone Health attached the pig kidney to blood vessels outside the body of a brain-dead woman and observed it for two days. The family agreed to the experiment before the woman was to be taken off life support. The kidney functioned normally, filtering waste and producing urine, and didn't show signs of rejection during the short observation period. The reception. The research was conducted last month and is yet to be peer-reviewed or published in a journal, but external experts say it represents a major advance. There is no doubt that this is a heavily significant breakthrough, said Darren Griffin, a professor of genetics at the University of Kent, UK, oh, I got I to I gotta adjust that. The research team were cautious using a patient who had suffered brain death, attaching the kidney to the outside of the body and closely monitoring for only a limited amount of time. There is thus a long way to go and much to discover. 
I think uh, this, this is amazing. Although I was actually, I'm glad that they already addressed it. I'm like, who was the brave soul that said, I'll be the first throw that thing. And, and a brain dead woman about to be taken off life support. That's what the brave soul was. Yes. Yes. Very brave. When so, she can't make her own decisions. This is huge breakthrough. It is big, big deal. Doris Segev, producer of uh, professor of transplant surgery at Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins, who was not involved in the research, told the New York Times. However, he added, we need to know more about the longevity of the organ. Uh, and the background. Recent years, research has increasingly research has increasingly zeroed in on pigs as the most promising avenue to help address the shortage of organs for transplant, but it has faced a number of obstacles, most prominently the fact that a sugar in pig cells triggers an aggressive reaction response in humans. So we are not quite pigs. I would have wondered, you know, based on the modern theory of evolution, that why, why haven't we gotten monkeys or apes or... Just saying, I was going there too. I was going there got too. around this by genetically altering the donor pig to knock out the gene encoding the sugar molecule that causes the rejection response. The pig was genetically engineered by Revivacor, one of several biotech companies working to develop pig organs to transplant into humans. So you have, I mean, other than my sister, you have an animal that most people don't keep as pets. They're going to genetically engineer them and kill them to eat eventually while you carve off the, the loin and the chop and the other areas of the pig, you can hold on to certain organs that can be now transplanted. So you could look, farm these organs pretty successfully, I think. No play on words, no pun. You can farm them, literally yeah, farm them. them. Yeah, I remember I'm a with joke you. from uh, Nick DiPaolo. You remember him? He was a stand-up oh, comic. Yeah. He said, uh, we, we, do ex we do experiments on animals for a reason, folks. Prolong our lives. If hooking up a monkey's brain, no. Yeah, if hooking up a monkey's brain to a car battery solves cancer, I got two things. The red is positive and the black is negative. <laughs> I agree with him. I do agree with him. Although, I'm not trying to get too controversial, but leave, leave beagle puppies out of this. That's what I'm saying. Only when they're young. Beagles <laughs> don't grow up to be attractive dogs. <laughs> Wait, I got you seen that old Jay Moore stand up giving him credit when uh he was talking about how we must have animal auditions. I, I want to say it was no, you know what? No, no it was Dennis, Dennis Leary, Leary talked about it. Dennis Leary, sorry, not Jay Moore. Dennis Leary. Like, what are you? I'm an otter. <laughs> What do you do? What do you do? <laughs> I do lay on my back and do cute little human things with my hands. You're free to, You're go. Free to go. What are you? I'm a cow. Get on the truck. Get on, on the truck. I have rights. You're a fucking baseball glove. Get on the truck. Get on the truck. <laughs> uh, he, so his genius evolved. If you want to talk about comics, his genius evolved. I think Larry did a wonderful job of evolving. Yeah. Man's a national treasure. Yes, he is. That wraps up the crank file. Let's get on to Leon's favorite because Florida. Florida. The country's penis. This week's Because Florida comes to us from the Associated Press. We're digging, we're digging the echelon here, Leon. We got two Associated Press stories. None of, mm -hmm. this, none of this bargain basement shit. I'm going to the top. 
No, it's legit. Dated September 8th, 2021. Florida man fed up with potholes, plants banana tree in the road. <laughs> as, you do. Uh, as you do. Actually, I think this is a feel-good story. I think so. I think so. I, I don't see uh I don't see anything in here that suggests um that we should disparage the Sunshine State. Fort no. Myers, Florida. A man fed up with a private road in poor condition near his Southwest Florida business has a novel solution. Plant a banana or a, a banana tree in a pothole to warn motorists away. Last week, Brian Raymond planted the tree in a stubborn pothole along Honda Drive just off US 41 in South Fort Myers. Raymond, who owns Progress and Pride Fitness Group, said the idea of planting a banana tree ripened in his mind. <laughs> I see what you did there, Associate. The idea of planting a banana tree ripened in his mind after having to fill holes in the street with cement multiple times because Honda drive and Honda's capitalized. So I'm thinking it's the brand Mm -hmm. because Honda drive is a private street. County officials said it's up to the business owners to maintain the street for Raymond banana tree is an attention grabbing repair. If we have to maintain it and make sure nobody gets hurt, we're going to put something obvious there to make sure nobody gets in the hole. Raymond told television station WBBH, for some time, Raymond's security cameras have captured problems along the street, including a pothole damaging cars and floodwaters causing his trash bin to float away. Florida. You know what? Not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> <laughs> some of them plant banana trees and potholes. This man is an American hero and a treasure. I love it. I think it's hilarious. We should have more of these, said Scott Shine, who works at a nearby business, told WBBH. I think it's sending a message. We're not standing for this anymore. He's seen so many cars hit a pothole on the street and bottom out that it's a real cape, uh, it's a real concern. Charlie Lopez, who lives in nearby Cape Coral, agrees. It messes up your tire, messes up the rim, and then it basically messes up your day. In that order. For some, though, the sight of a tree brings disbelief. I pulled up and I'm like, is that really a tree in the middle of the road? Says John Holker, who lives in Fort Myers, speaking with W-I-N-K-TV. Let's pause for a second. Florida has a television station called Wink. I was going. <laughs> Wink TV. How is that not perfect it. for this segment? It's porn is what that is. That's got to be it. I'm going to have to go find the Wink TV Website. Maybe that'll be a new draw for Because Florida. I, w I wonder if uh, what their jingle is. <laughs> <laughs> nudge, nudge, W I N K. W I N K. <laughs> w I N K. <sighs> that wraps with the crank file. I love it. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into parenting. We can make kids right now. That's why we're here. It's not the years. It's the mileage. So uh, I personally, as you know, Leon, I'm a huge Madagascar fan. And yes. So this one warmed the fuck out of my heart. This one comes to us from inverse.com and it references a scientific study about the island of Madagascar. 
a singing endangered animal reveals the evolutionary origins of music. I want you to picture King Julian in your mind as we discuss this. I like this. to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. When Chiara de Gregorio thinks of rhythm, two things come to mind. The mega hit We Will Rock You by the British band Queen and Endangered Lemurs. Specifically, hmm. she's thinking of the Indri Indri, an endangered lemur residing on the island nation of Madagascar. Pause. Yes, that Madagascar. Yes, those lemurs. <laughs> de Gregorio's team researched musical rhythm in the Indri Indri, publishing her team's findings in the journal Current Biology on Monday. Two rhythmic categories we found for the injury injury are exactly the same of the intro of We Will Rock You by the famous band Queen. Lead author of the study and researcher in the University of Turin's Department of Life Sciences and Systems Biology tells Inverse, Italians, the Italians went down to Madagascar and they did a study of the lemurs to see if they're a musical talent. (laughs) The simple well-timed beats in We Will Rock You made the rock banger an iconic hit, but they also speak to the universal language that humans share across cultures and languages. Rhythm. You have it or you don't. That's a fallacy. (laughs) <laughs> According to Gregorio's recent study, the Indri Indri is the only other creature in the animal kingdom so far that can replicate Queen's iconic beat. Her findings speak to a shared rhythmic language between humans and this rare creature, suggesting humans aren't the only mammals who enjoy a well-timed beat. Thoughts on this? Do so that we're talking about mammals only because I know there's birds that can mimic it. So I know that's that for sure. Shit. But yeah, that's, that's, uh, I've always wondered how much research goes into making these movies, these animated <laughs> movies and they nailed it. Right. Cause I didn't, I don't know anything about lemurs until that movie came out. You know, maybe I've seen one special. And what did you know about the Island National of Madagascar at all? Nothing, nothing at all. You know, it that exists. cartoon comes out and we're parents and we have to watch it and, and we've said it many, many times that these, these shows, these blueies, uh, we went, we went to the movies for the first time oh. uh, since we moved here. We went and went to see Adam's family too. Okay. And, and they continue to follow the same theme, which is 50% of the movie is for kids. 50% of the movie is for adults. And mm-hmm. they do such a beautiful job sailing all those jokes right over their head. But these these Madagascar movies are just super fun, super entertaining, and they nailed it. They, I didn't know anything about uh, the lemurs now, which is so much better than it used to be. Because you know what? I've seen now at least five or six Tasmanian devils, and Warner Brothers is full of shit. They don't look <laughs> anything like that. They don't act anything like that. Taz is nothing. Is not a real creature. You sit on a throne of lies. You sit on a throne of lies. I was so disappointed to find out that's what a Tasmanian devil actually <laughs> looks like. So kudos to the good people. That's right. Is it who made it? Was it Pixar? Who made this? Oh, oh it was. What was it? It was Dream. It was DreamWorks. Was it DreamWorks? Good for you. Good for you doing research. Fucking because if they are, if they have that much rhythm, I mean, King was it King? What's his name? King, King Julian. I almost said Joffrey. King he Julian. King Julian. Maurice. These endangered lemurs don't just sing at random. 
Researchers have observed that their songs contain specific phrases, a good indication of categorical rhythms when intervals between notes occur not uniformly, but in deliberate ways. Rather than defining music itself, categorical rhythms may inform the temporal organization of an acoustic signal. Think of the uniform intervals between the beats of a ticking clock. We probably wouldn't categorize these uniform beats alone as music. On the other hand, we recognize the specifically timed or categorical intervals between the beats and we will rock you. Since Indris's songs are composed of notes that are organized in phrases, they were very good candidates to understand if injuries would share the same categorical rhythms that are typical of human music. Researchers recorded the injuries singing in the wild to scientifically confirm their hunch, then measured the intervals between the lemur's musical notes using mathematical ratios. Musicians and math are a magical connection. Amazing. It has been scientifically proven that an ed- a musical education makes you better at STEM. Music and math are joined. You heard it here, Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, so what you're saying is rhythms- don't... Wait, hold on. What? How many accountants do you know that can dance? None is the answer to that question. Music education. (laughs) Sorry if any of the magic 23 are are accountants. So I laughed about this because we're, we're in the, we're in the car on the way to school and my nine-year-old has what's called specials. So you've got your regular teacher that like, I remember when we were in fourth grade, like one teacher taught everything. And then there was the occasional, you get to go outside to the PE teacher or you get to go to music class. Those are the only Mm -hmm. environments I could think of where there was a separate teacher. He -hmm. has what's called specials. So he goes to the library, he goes to tech, he goes to PE and he goes to music. And he's like, so what were your specials like, dad? I was like, specials? (laughs) Just one teacher all day. What are you talking about? But I do remember a music teacher. And the part that made me start laughing was we're looking at at least three decades ago. And I still remember a song we sang about the music teacher. And so I'm calling up, I'm calling up some old memories here, Leon, but there was a kid in our class who was, I think he was Samoan, uh, certainly Pacific Islander. And his name was Han and Han was a big kid. Let's just establish that Han was a big kid. Fuck you, Uh, boy. I could read. I don't know whatever happened to Han. It's not important. Just we need to know that Han was heavy for the purposes of the song. So the song, as I remember it was, Han Han, the sumo wrestler, sat on Mrs. Metzner to see if she was strong, but now she's gone. <laughs> and that was the song. <laughs> and I Isn't sang that, that in the car, and my nine-year-old lost his shit. <laughs> but I think it speaks to the fact that of all the things you remember from the fourth grade, that was the one. It was a song. Music. That's funny. That is funny. I'm always surprised what we decided to hold on to for whatever reason. <laughs> and who knows why it just hits you the right way. Welcome, welcome. Do we remember these things the oh, way we that do? Was a wonderful moment, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, if the general public becomes aware of the animal's rhythmic abilities, it could spur conservation efforts similar to how whale songs propelled the Save the Whales movement in the 1970s. And so the idea is this observation, because you always ask that question, Leon, why, 
How, how did mm-hmm. this scientific exploration come to be? In this particular case, it's an endangered animal, and they were looking for ways to identify why it should be off of the endangered list. And what they found was lamers like to move it, move it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I feel like, again, this, these animals, they pass the cuteness test. That's all they really needed to pass. People like them. They like Madagascar. Mm-hmm. People don't want anybody to mess with Madagascar. I'm surprised it's not already like the Galapagos. I think it's probably going to get very close to that where it's uh, nobody's allowed to go there anymore. Uh, I know there's obviously some people that are settled there and live there, but I, from a tourism standpoint, I'm, I'm interested. I, I'm surprised Just, Madagascar hasn't become a thing because they're supposed to have beautiful beaches like Cancun level. Beautiful. Mm. Yeah, anyway, I'd, I'd love to go and see some lemurs. King Julian and Maurice are for real. Watch Madagascar. <laughs> what you're watching is factual basis, whether or not the animators intended it at the time. That wraps up parenting. It's time for Leon Loathes. So far, Danny, I haven't heard a single logical reason. No, no, don't accept this. It's frustrating. And we haven't cured cancer. We have not cured cancer. I don't know the answer. I'm just ranting about it. This week's pretty easy for me, Danny. Do it. Do it. Although it's very personal to me. Fuck this shit, I'm out. Mm-mm. Fuck this shit, I'm out. No thanks. Don't mind me. I'ma just grab my stuff and leave. Excuse me, please. Fuck this shit, I'm out. Nope. Fuck this shit, I'm out. All right then. I don't know what the fuck just happened, but I don't really care. I'ma get the fuck up out of here. This shit, I'm out. If you're wondering why things all of a sudden shut off, it's because poor Leon had a power outage. This is the first of its kind here on the Bottle of Brown podcast. We actually lost our co-host. So what I will say is I want to thank everybody for listening. I really appreciate those of you that have joined the Bob community, all you Bobs out there. Remember, you can email us here at the Bottle of Brown podcast at bottleofbrown at gmail.com. You can send us a voicemail. We'll play it on the show at 602-529-4562. Uh, email us or call us, doesn't matter, but you can leave a message for Leon, you can leave a message for Danny, Mr. Jones, anybody else who's ever been in the podcast. You can refute anything we say, or you can give us topics that you want us to discuss. We love all you guys out there. We're uh, running out of ice, so it's time to close down this brown. But we'll see you next time with a brand new episode of the Bottle of Brown podcast. Same brown time, same brown channel. Bottleofbrown.com. This place is dead anyway, man.